Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here with the Indy Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, but the star, as always, is Greg Doyle, award-winning columnist. Greg, how are you today, my man? I am award-winning, which means I am really, really good. Of course, I'm not as good as the Colts are looking, but I'm pretty damn good. I, I'm pretty handsome, just not quite there. I'm not I'm not Colts handsome. Yeah. God, how about those Colts? Or maybe not Rodrigo Blankenship handsome, because we know that he's <laughs> extremely handsome. <laughs> This podcast. We've actually got a lot to get to today. I, I want to touch on uh, the Victor Oladipo situation, the Pacers coaching search, the NBA finals, um, and all of that. But as we always do, um, feels like we we have to lead Colts. Now 48 hours removed from a resounding victory in Chicago, a game that really wasn't as close as the final score indicated. It was more close because the Colts offense kept running out of gas in the red zone. But just your overall impressions. I, I think a lot of people that read your column know how you feel about this Colts team, but just in case anybody listening hasn't been clued into how Greg Doyle feels, we're a quarter of the way through the season. What do you think about these Colts? I think they're really, really good. I think they're that kind of team that, um, and a lot can happen, but uh, they're the kind of team that if, if we tune into the Super Bowl and you see them in there, you know, because every time there's a, obviously there's a Super, a Super Bowl, I look at the teams in there and usually it's the Patriots are one of them. And, and you kind of look at the players they have, and even if they're not great, great, great players, they all kind of mix together really well, And and especially if it's not the Patriots. But I just think the Colts have a team where, yeah, I can see Darius Leonard being a Super Bowl linebacker, and I can see I can see Julian Blackman being a Super Bowl safety, and I can see T.Y. Hilton and, and Mo Ali Cox being a great story in the Super Bowl in the, in the lead-up to that game, and I can see Phillip Rivers being a Super Bowl QB, and I can see Jonathan Taylor. Be, I mean, you know, I can see this team getting that far now I mean I'm getting way ahead of ourselves they're in the same conference with the Chiefs who are unbelievable and the Ravens who are close to unbelievable but I just think they're I think they're legitimately a Super Bowl contender in a stacked conference where it's kind of bad luck to be in the AFC but I think they're really really good where I am just a little skeptical is that you know offensively the point output really hasn't been there um, and they haven't needed it in these first couple of weeks, really. They needed it in Jacksonville, where obviously they fell short in week one, but they didn't need it when they were pick-sixing Sam Darnold a bunch of times against Minnesota. And they certainly didn't need it against a, a Bears offense that was punchless against that dominant defensive front. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit let, – let's kind of start with that, Greg, because there's so many things to praise the Colts about. But let's start with some of the concerns, because I, for one, am really concerned about the rush offense and the offensive line, which I don't think have been bad per se. The rush offense hasn't been efficient at all, but it's not like it's been necessarily terrible. Um, but that's supposed to be the bread and butter, butter of this offense, and yet we've seen it kind of sputter here through the first four games. Well, I mean, first of all, the obvious, Marlon Mack is injured. Now, Jonathan Taylor's great. I mean, I really do think he's great, but he's Marlon more ready. Jonathan Taylor will be great, great someday. He's just really good right now. Um, I think they're running the ball fine. No, they're not dominant, but they're running the ball fine. I, the, the offensive line has not been quite as good as I expected. I, I'm with you on that one. Um, however, late in the game, like the, the offensive line blew them open in the fourth quarter. The Colts ran the ball like 12 straight plays and worked seven minutes clock, and the game was over at that point. I don't. I, um, I know I tend to be either kind of way too negative about things, probably, um, or way too positive about things. I'm kind of an extremist. I just don't get. I don't get the 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 lack of buy-in around here, um, and it's not unanimous. But I just don't get it. They're three and one. The one loss was that first game, week one of this season, is such a throw that out game. I don't care mm-hmm. because there was no there were no preseason games at all. A very strange training camp. 
coronavirus infected, obviously impacted, obviously. So I just that first game was by definition, and with a new quarterback, that it was just going to be, especially for the Colts, but for everybody, it was going to be just a you know this game almost put an asterisk on it, and I put an asterisk on it. I'm, they're three and zero, and they're kicking everybody's ass, and their defense was good in game one too. So I just eh, I bought in a lot more than most. Here's where the skepticism creeps in. This team was five and two last year. And then the wheels fell off, right? And even at five and two, you saw some of these, I don't know if warts is the right word, but you saw some of these blemishes on this Colts team seven games in. And you thought, yeah, you know, they're they're really they're cashing in in the red zone at an unsustainable rate. I don't remember what their rate was, but through the first like five weeks last year, remember Jacoby Brissett had like 12 touchdown passes, and you're like, wait a minute there's no way that they're just going to keep scoring every single time that they get in the red zone. And then of course, you know, the, the bubble ended up bursting for them. And and the other thing, Greg, is that this has been a historic start to the season for NFL offenses. And what some of these teams, the, the numbers, God, look at even the Browns and, and the yards and the points that these teams are putting up. And while that's a compliment to the Colts defense that they've been that dominant, I, I just, I'm a little bit worried about what the ceiling of this offense is with a 38 year old quarterback who clearly isn't the player that he used to be and a rush offense that, to me, has been, you know, kind of mediocre to average. Yeah, two things about that. One is Jonathan Taylor's vision is getting better. I realize he ran for 6 million yards in three years in college, but he's starting to make guys miss a little bit at the last scrimmage, which he didn't do in the first couple weeks. I was was actually unimpressed with Jonathan Taylor the first couple weeks, except for his speed and power. But, I mean, it was like if he didn't have a hole, he was going nowhere because he couldn't see anything. I think he's seeing more now, and he's just going to see more and more. The game's obviously faster. And I think he's starting to catch up with his eyes. But about Rivers, um, you know, this is a quarterback-driven league. I don't care what your bread and butter is. You're only as good as your quarterback in this league. And Jacoby, and Jacoby was at uh, Lucas Oil Stadium yesterday, and I hope we talk about this a little bit. He was there among a lot of players helping families get food from Gleaner's Food Bank. And I love Jacoby for that. I love the way he is. But um, he had a ceiling as a player, and he kind of hit a wall. Rivers is, grand 38 and not, and not getting younger. But – this is his first shot with the Colts with no preseason games. The chemistry is only going to get better. Unlike with Jacoby, where you kind of, even in real time, I, I, it wouldn't have been fair to say, I bet he's even better as the season goes on. Not with the start he had. It was never going to happen. Rivers, I think it's very fair to say, he's just going to get better in this offense with these players who, again, with no preseason games, hasn't thrown the ball to any of them. So I just think, I think, the, I think the arrow is pointing up, and I could be wrong about this, but I would much rather be wrong for a change because I'm too positive and be wrong <laughs> like I normally am because I'm too negative. I hear you. I, and I think Rivers has been fine. Um, he's been an upgrade, clearly. He's more accurate and he's more efficient. I know Sunday's game wasn't a great reflection of that, but the Bears' defense came in yielding, I think, the worst completion percentage to opponents in the league. So that was a really good Bears' defense that he faced. So I, I think Rivers ultimately is going to be just fine. I don't think he's going to be a Pro Bowl or anything like that. I, I, I'm just worried, Greg, that, you know, if you're asking the Colts to go out there and give up 14 points a game and 230 yards a game, like th- those numbers aren't sustainable. It's, it's been an unbelievable start to the season, but the Colts, they need to find some more balance. They need some more. They, they can't just have the defense landing all the punches. They need the offense to get a few uppercuts and jabs in. True, but they're they're not winning games with great defense and winning winning the game by two. I mean, they're they're beating teams. You're right. I mean, they've won by 17, 29, and then yeah, they they won only against the Bears by eight. But they were up sixteen with four minutes to go. It was a garbage the, touchdown late. Garbage touchdown yeah. late that they were basically saying we're going to let you go eighty yards as long as you're willing to spend three minutes doing it. 
we're going to give you 80 yards because there's not enough clock left. So, again, if they were if their defense was winning games 10 to 7, I'd be scared to death like you are. But, but their, their defense is they're winning games on about an average margin of 14, 15 points. I'm okay with this. Yeah, their point differential is 47. And I think with that 5 and 2 start, their point differential was 7 points. So, you know, they kept flipping the coin and it kept coming up heads. And then eventually it's going to start coming tails. And, and you feel a little bit better about this start because – I think a good sign, you know, people can talk about their schedule all they want. Good teams crush bad teams. And the fact is that the Colts are crushing Jacksonville aside. The Colts are crushing the bad teams that they face so far. But I'm intrigued by this Cleveland game because this this Cleveland offense is much, much better. You know, I'm, I'm still not sold on Baker Mayfield. I don't think anybody is. But overall, this Cleveland offense is much better than anything that they faced in the first four weeks of the season. Yeah, I'm a... Uh... This game's fascinating. It's fascinating for, for it's fascinating even for what kind of what we're talking about here. How, or at least what I'm talking about here, where I don't really understand and and get why the Colts aren't getting a little bit more appreciation even locally. I, I don't. Uh, I mean, I understand skepticism. I get that. But anyway, Cleveland is kind of like the the flavor of the month, and I get that. I mean, Odell Beckham's fun. Baker Mayfield's fun. You know, Kareem Hunt's a monster, but whatever. Um, they, they've got a bunch of names that we know. They've got a bunch of skill that people like, and so I think folks are higher on them than they are on the Colts. And I can see the Colts, you know, I can see this Colts defense putting the the Browns over their knee and paddling them. I, I can see them doing that. Now, Kevin Stefanski is not that idiot they had last year at coach. So maybe, maybe things are different. But um, if you're, if I, like if I was a national guy and had to look at these two teams and say, which one do I, which three and one team that really no one thought was going to be all that good a year or two ago. And now look where they are now. Which three and one team do you believe in? I'm not believing in Cleveland. Not yet. I got to see something. There's no track record. None of them. None of them. The only track record they have is Odell Beckham's nuts. That's the only track record they have. Yeah, it's hard. It's really difficult to take uh, Cleveland seriously because this is, I think, their first three and one start in 20 years. And they've made the playoffs once this century. And they haven't won a playoff game, I think, since 94. So, you know, you got you to go back a ways to the last time that they were really relevant. But, you know, you just wonder with this head coach and his offensive mindset if, if maybe they've kind of found something here because clearly they have the talent to be good. Like, there's no reason why Cleveland on paper shouldn't be a, a 500 or better team and even be a playoff contender. So, you know, I don't know if hanging a 50-berg on um, a mediocre Dallas team tells us everything, but it certainly shows a little bit of something. And, and Really, that's what's so, you know, you mentioned intriguing, Greg. What's I'm blown away by in this start is you've got Seattle and Green Bay in the NFC who are both very good. But I think outside of that, all of the powers in the AFC. Like the AFC to me is loaded. Like Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Baltimore, Kansas City, you know, all of these teams. To me, I think New England with a healthy Cam Newton. Yeah. Um, Tennessee, perhaps, who I was kind of low man on, but they're off to a 3-0 start. The Colts with their defense and the start that they're off. I mean, to me, it's it's very very lopsided towards the AFC right now. No, you're absolutely right. Buffalo being four and zero, and 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 he he's not the best quarterback in that class, but uh, but Allen looks really damn good. But like Cleveland, I mean, Miles Garrett with, with, has a bunch of sacks, and I mean, they've just got star power. Cleveland has star power, and we like star power, and they are worth watching and taking seriously. But of the two, I'm taking the Colts more. I do like the Cleveland. Remember JoJo Natson? Remember that little yeah, bitty? Yeah. <laughs> they've got him. Sure. He's really? their kick returner. He's their. Wow. Yeah, he's their punt and kick returner, or at least one of them. So, anyway, I always like seeing a guy littler than me on the football field. Like, that's why I like Kenny Moore so much, although he's built like a tank. JoJo Natson's built like me, only smaller. I like it. JoJo Natson is is up there with, like, Deion Kane and, uh, you know, all camp, all preseason Colts teams. Who is that? Were you here for Lawrence Guy? Do you remember that? Dude no, in their preseason. 
he had like, I think he had like eight sacks in four preseason games. I mean, he looked like Dwight Freeney out there and he ended up getting cut. And then he, I think he became a pretty good player for the Chargers for a while. But there are lots of guys. Jojo Natson, man, that takes me back where, you know, he, he hits the Chad Kelly, right? T.Y. McGill. Yeah, where they're, they're relevant for the month of August. And that's really kind of about it, at least during their time as Colts. Speaking of um, Chad Kelly, speaking of Chad Kelly, though, how about, you know, I, I think the Colts, they must feel like, you know, they, they've done their they've done what they could. Uh, and, and clearly they brought him here as a favor to Jim. There's no there's no way around that, that that they they stashed him on the practice. I mean, it didn't cost him much of anything. And so he was here to rehabilitate his image and he looked good in the preseason. And so and I think he's unemployed right now. They released him. He's unemployed. But I, I, I mean, I, it's interesting that he's gone. It's interesting they cut ties. Even with a, they can double the size practice team. They still don't want him on the team anymore. Uh, they did draft Eason, but anyway, I just that whole deal with with um, Chad Kelly is interesting that they brought him here. Frank Reich brought him here, kept him here for a couple of years. Now they cut him loose. We'll see what happens next. But you know, Chad Kelly is a very small story, but he's an interesting little side script story to the Colts. Yeah, and you know, for him and for the Colts, mission accomplished, right? It worked out for everybody. Colts got a little bit from you know, made some of their preseason games relevant. And Kelly, I think, was able to rebuild his image because he kept his nose clean. Yeah. So if there is somebody right. else that wants him, he's going to have another shot, whereas this was clearly his last straw Hail Mary shot at even being relevant in the NFL anymore. Yeah, um, yeah, just – yeah, exactly. Go, going around the rest of the league, and obviously this is uh, relevant to the Colts, the Texans situation, an 0-4 start. Now Bill O'Brien is gone. Um, I was already writing them off after 0-4 because I, I think that's one of those starts that's unrecoverable. I don't know what the statistics are for 0-4 teams. I know the Chargers, like 25 years ago, made the playoffs after starting 1-4. and And the Colts, of course, made it starting 1-5. and But is it fair to write the Texans off officially, given that not only are they winless, but now they are without head coach? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're winless. They're without a head Well, I mean, losing the head coach might help them a little bit. But they're winless. They're in a brutal conference, not brutal uh, division, but a brutal conference. They're not coming back. And, and right now, and uh, apparently going forward, Romeo Cornell will be their coach. And he's a nice man. People like Romeo, but uh, dynamic, he's not. Um, you know, he, a, a guy who's just going to shake shake things up, he's not. He's, I mean, I, you know, you, you promote Romeo Cornell, you're basically, I mean, I don't even know what you're doing with that. That's, I mean, the, the only way you do that is if, if something goes on, is going on with O'Brien that we don't even know about. Because Cornell is a decent man who will, who will, you know, you can trust to keep the grass cut short and can trust to make sure that there's no leaking pipes and all that. But he, there's nothing there. So the fact that they made him the interim coach, that's, I mean, kind of just talk about the ultimate white flag. Did you ever hear anything about O'Brien? I know during your CBS Sports days, I, I didn't know how much involvement at all if you had, you know, in, in kind of the, the wake of the Penn State thing. Uh, have, you, have you had any interaction with him at all over the years? Because it, it sounds like, I mean, in the last 24 hours, all this stuff's been coming out about how he was, you know, he'd fire people and drop F-bombs and say, get the F out. Or it wasn't a real well-liked figure, apparently, in, in, with some people. I never heard that before. I never heard that either. Um, but it doesn't surprise me just knowing human nature. Oh, Bill O'Brien was a guy I first knew about him when I was at the show covering the ACC, and he was the quarterback's coach at Georgia Tech and was very highly regarded and might've been 26 years old, but like people knew he's going to be something someday. And I think he might've worked for, uh, I don't know, Ralph Friedgen, but anyway, 
uh, he was a highly regarded dude. Um, but guys like that, and then he started leapfrogging people. I mean, he went quickly, became the head coach of Penn State. I mean, that was fast. And then he's in the NFL. That was fast. Guys like that uh, tend to think that they did that all by themselves and that they did that by the sheer force of their intellect and personality. And, yeah, that helps, uh, but you catch a few lucky breaks along the way. And, anyway, I, I'm not surprised that he bought into his own hype over the years, that he thinks he's that good. And you're not that good, unless you're Bill Belichick. And if you are Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick please don't act like that anymore because nobody likes you. <laughs> that's actually, uh, you know, believe in your own hype and ego. That's a good segue into uh, the Victor Oladipo situation. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he uh, – isn't this a mess that the, the Pacers are looking for a head coach and they're – on paper, best player. I think Sabonis might be their best player, but but the guy that kind of has been the face of the team for a couple of years and has one year left in his contract probably wants out. And if you're and if you want a head coaching job in the NBA, you'll take it no matter what. But if you've got options, and of course most jobs are getting filled, but it just is bad. It's terrible timing. Pacers are trying to hire a coach. Meanwhile, Old Depot is going on Fat Joe and talking about, yeah, I'm under contract. Hey, what can you say about the Pacers? I'm a Pacer. It's kind of what Paul George said three years ago. Hey, mm-hmm. Paul, are you, are you a pacer? I'm a pacer. What else? And everybody thought that meant something. Dick says it. it everybody realizes that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this so much, Greg, that I don't even remember all of what I've said. So if I've said this before on a previous podcast, um, and you guys are going to really rise at this again, but just kind of adding everything up, like, I, I don't know about you. I'm just over it. Like, I don't want to do this again. Like, let's just do – and I've always kind of been like this, like with relationships, even though I've been dumped a lot of my life. So I've never, you know, it's been, it's been hard for me to initiate, but when, you know, for me, when something's over, it's over. Just let, let's just walk away. Let's move on. And that's how I kind of feel about the Oladipo situation. You know, even, even a month ago, I was still kind of holding out hope that perhaps there was a path for him to, to be part of this team long-term, but if he wants out, I'm cool with it. I just don't want this to drag on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to get, whatever they can out of him in a trade package and, and just move on with the guys that want to be here, like Brogdon and Sabonis and, and the people that are locked up long-term. Yeah, I think uh, by dragging out, I can see it. I'm okay if it drags out through the offseason, but he doesn't need to be on this roster when the season begins. He does not need to be on this roster. Because um, I, I don't know that how much higher his trade value is going to get. Now, granted, if next year starts and he's Vic from three years ago, averaging 25 a game and – okay, then his trade value is going to be higher. But I think it's safe to assume after what we've seen based on the injury that that, that Vic is gone. And the Vic we have now is good. It's really, really good. But he's not that guy. He's probably not a max contract guy. So trade him now uh, b- before he maybe gets hurt again. Or, you know, it's all about trends. And you can't predict how Vic's going to act. I mean, he might come back to being the great Vic that we all loved a couple years ago. He, that guy might come back. But it's all about trends, and he's trending in a terrible way. And I don't mean as a player, but I mean just as a franchise asset. He's trend, He's going on Fat Joe, and I mean he's trending in a bad way. I think better to get rid of him now before he trends worse. He's a stock going down, and you can sell him now for fourteen dollars a share, or you can sell him in the future for three dollars a share. I get rid of him. Yeah, he's he was kind of that one year, that seventeen eighteen year where he was all NBA and all defense. He was a top ten to fifteen ish NBA player, and. I was skeptical even before the injury he'd ever be that sustain that level. But now I think Oladipo, if we, I'm not going to do it out on this podcast, it would take too long, but I would guess Greg, that if we really did it out and we're ranking NBA players, Oladipo would fall somewhere in like the 35 to 40 range. 
just the yeah. overall players in the NBA. Listen, there are 30 teams in the NBA. If he's 35 to 40, that means he's a really good number two because you know the, the top player on the three teams, if he's 35, that means he's one of the five best, second best players in the team. I don't think he's 35 or 40. Not not from what we've seen. Um, you know, when you said that, my first thought was, yeah, I can see him being around 50. Um, that's and that's an interesting topic for someone else to flesh out. But yeah, he's he's dropped a lot, and and the injury is terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and the, what complicates this, and everything's always complicated by real life, is that he and Pritchard get along so well, or or did. I'm sure they still do, and I'm, I'm sure Pritchard still loves him. And 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 that's it's you talk about letting go, and you've been dumped a lot, and blah blah blah. It, it's hard if you're Pritchard and you're the Pacers to have this guy who played at IU, who was beloved. And, and it's still liked. I mean, he, he hasn't gone full Paul George on us yet, but it, you can see it coming. But um, it's hard to say, but maybe – I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where you almost want to get rid of them only if you have to. And they don't really have to yet, and so they're probably just hoping that maybe he turns it around. I'm just looking at this, the trend, and saying you kind of have to. It's just so weird to me because uh, you were there, I was there that night in January, which feels like 100 years ago because of COVID and all of that, but his return game – and. And it's crazy that in nine months we've gotten here. You know what I mean? Like this, this went, you know, Paul George was kind of a slow burn. He was, he was king and then he broke his leg. And then, you know, it just started kind of gradually sliding down over the course of two or three years. This has kind of been nine months where Victor Oladipo was, you know, post Andrew Luck retirement, perhaps the most popular athlete in this city. And to where he is now, it's really kind of been incredible. And I, I had someone tell me last summer who, um, it's, it's close. He would know um, that. Well, you know, I, I hear um, I've, I've been told Victor Oladipo's got people in his ear and while he's rehabbing and, and all that, that the Pacers don't want to have in his ear. And I'm thinking to myself, eh, whatever, like, you know, these guys have friends and they they like to sing and put out albums, you know, whatever. I, I don't care what he's doing. I, I just kind of scoffed at it, Greg. Right. I just thought, yeah, whatever, you know, and now it just looks like maybe. Maybe that was true. Maybe maybe this is the case of people in the inner circle kind of getting in his ear and, and hyping him up into something that he isn't when all of us are looking at him and we're like, dude, you're like a top 40 to 50 player. I don't know what you think you are, but you're not that. I, I wrote that actually kind of what you're talking about, the people in his inner circle and how they are overmatched. I wrote that uh, shortly after he came back from the bubble, that he's getting bad advice. And the same thing happened to LeBron when he left Cleveland eight years ago, the decision and Maverick Carter and those guys, Rich Paul, they've become, I mean, they're monsters now. They're monsters. But in 2010, they were LeBron's age and trying to be executives. And they were 25 and they were messing up. And that's just what's going to happen. But Vic has surrounded himself with guys like Rich Paul and Maverick Carter, although without the ceiling, I'm sure. Guys that really have never had a superstar before. Not as an agent, not as a personal assistant. Vic's the first star they've had. And they don't know what to do. And they're they're screwing it up and he's listening to the wrong people. And... I will tell you the, you know what you heard about the people in his ear. It was correct. What I heard about Vic uh, was that, and I thought this was just kind of a dumb thing, but I heard from someone who would know that Vic's all about money. He wants, he wants money, and and that makes sense. We all want money, but then you you, you heard the Fat Joe thing where he basically came out and said, players say they don't want the money. I want the money. And then he and then he kind of backtracked. I want chips and I want this. But he he the first thing he said was, Yes, I want every penny I can get. And that's what drives him, and that's fine. That's fine, but that's not who we are here in Indiana. That's not what we do. And there's got to be a connection. We don't have it. Um, and then one more thing about Vic. Oh, the worst thing that happened 
um, as far as his relationship with, with the Pacers, I think, is Malcolm Brogdon. And I don't mean they don't like each other. I don't mean that. And I don't mean Brogdon's done anything to undermine Victor. But Brogdon is a special human being, force of nature, and you get this social injustice happening over the summer, and Malcolm became among the NBA's top voices, certainly this franchise's top voice. And Pritchard, when he, when he talked to us after the social unrest, the George Floyd killing happened, he talked all about Malcolm and how Malcolm, we're following his lead. And I don't think he said Victor Oladipo's name once. Um, and if you're Vic, and this is your city and your team, and your position, you are the scoring point guard or whatever you think you are. And all of a sudden, Malcolm comes in, and he's all those things, only better off the court than you are. That's tough. I, I really think that was a slap in his face, and he's not handled it well at all. Yeah, you have to, you know, kind of – the team dynamic, it's important to understand roles. Like when I signed up for this podcast, I clearly understood just giving all of the plaques and awards that adorn the walls of IndyStar that say Greg Doyle's name on it, I knew exactly where I stood on this <laughs> program. And that's why this podcast has been able to work so well. Oh, well, you do start off by saying, and the real star of the show, because my boss has <laughs> yeah. actually told you, you will start the show by saying the real star is Greg Doyle, yeah. or you can't have this podcast. Uh, a little inside the, inside the ropes knowledge there. And you know what's sad, Derek, is that there's at least one person out there that heard me said that, and they think I mean that. There, there's someone, oh, that's why he says it. No, it's not why he says it, no. you dummy, whoever you are. He means it because I am the – no, I'm actually not the star. My voice is terrible, and you're, you're the star. But I do have the Milan basketball over my shoulder. That's right, yeah. And, and guess who I was on the phone with right before you and I talked? I'll tell you because you never guess. Bobby Plump. Really? I just like him a lot, and I, I'm hoping there's a story I'm working on that, that might happen, might not. But anyway, Bobby's a – I just – He's a treasure. Yeah, well, this, I mean, he's, huh? he's an icon. He's an icon and deserves it, like uh, not just mm-hmm. for what he did in that, in that game, but but he's just, I mean, he's a great guy. He's a nice, nice, I mean, just a wonderful, uh, funny, but humble, just a great guy. So anyway, I just want to drop, drop the name Bobby Plump for you. While we're on the topic of the Pacers, um, just a very unsexy coaching search. You wrote about Becky Hammond a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they're bringing in some more candidates this week. I think Dave Yeager, Darvin Ham. I think maybe they'll talk to Chauncey Billups this week, or at least it's been rumored that that was the case. Um, you know, anything on, on that front, Greg, do you, do you think we'll hear something either by the end of this week or maybe by the end of next week? It's not like there's a rush necessarily to name a head coach. Um, I've been given the impression that they are a week away from getting close. So a week away from getting close. So nothing's imminent. Um, I, it's interesting to me that Chauncey Billups hasn't taken a job somewhere. Um and I suspect he was maybe number two in a lot of places. Like Doc Rivers, if Philadelphia can get Doc Rivers, then you get him. And and the Clippers just promoted from within, right? They promoted Doc's assistant, Lou. Who did the Clippers promote? You know what? I actually have to look up to see who that – I haven't even kind of kept track on the rest of the NBA but coaches. Me neither. But but the, the, the best jobs have been filled by guys that make sense. And Billups is kind of – I mean, Billups is kind of roll the dice. Um he might be great. You know, he played the right position, played it for years. He's great on TV. He's obviously charming. I mean, he might be great, but you don't know. It's just not a sure thing. And I think uh, Doc Rivers is kind of a sure thing. I think Ty Lue has got a ring that says it's a sure thing. So anyway, it's interesting that Billups hadn't been hired yet anywhere. It appears this job is, you know, he, the Pacers can have him if they want him. Um, but I think, I think there's an assistant in Miami, and I don't know this. Okay, I, I do know that they're a week away from thinking it's time to get going. That's kind of what I I, I know that, but. I don't know what I'm about to say. 
But I, I, the, the Heat have an assistant, and I don't even know the guy's name, um, but the Pacers have interest in that guy. They may have already talked to him. You know, I'm, Woj reported that a week or two ago. Um, whoever that guy is, and I'm not very knowledgeable about this. I is it Chris Quinn, or is it one of the different ones? I don't think it's Quinn. I, the old the old nerd aim guard? Quinn, 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 I would know. Quinn, I would okay. reckon I remember that name. but somebody else. But I suspect that the reason the Pacers are a week away from, from really thinking it's time to get going is that there's somebody in the finals they want. Or at least there's somebody in the finals they want they want to look at very very hard, and who would that be? It'd be that guy in the Heat, whoever he is. Yeah, I think Pacers fans are going to have to know that very likely. Now they could hire Billups. They could, I guess, throw a a, a bucket of money at D'Antoni, even though I've, I've always felt like that was unlikely. But I think there's a, a pretty strong chance, uh, Greg, that when the Pacers make a hire, everybody's going to have to rush to Wikipedia and be like, "Wait a minute, okay, where did this guy come from, and what's he all about?" I because hope. Listen. An assistant or something like that. Unless it's Billups, who's we don't need to Wikipedia, or Becky Hammond, who we really won't need one either. I hope they do make a hire like that because a retread, a guy who we already know that guy. Well, the reason we know that guy, because that guy's failed probably three other places. Um, I'd rather be a guy like this guy in the Heat person whose name I don't know. I, I've read it and didn't recognize it. I, I, I want roll the dice on somebody. Uh, roll, you know, take a shot at greatness. You know, you're, you're the Pacers, and just like you know, LeBron and and uh, Kevin Durant and those free agents, they're not coming here. So you kind of roll the dice on maybe a Victor Oladipo at Oklahoma City. You roll the dice on guys that you hope have more than they've shown. And I think the same thing for a coach. Doc Rivers wasn't coming here. Uh, then go roll the dice on somebody that might be the next, might be the next it, the next Eric Spolstra. Go roll the dice on that guy because if you get that guy and you get that guy in your franchise. Maybe he's Greg Popovich here. You know, I mean, who's Greg Popovich until the Spurs get made him a coach? Roll the dice on somebody and trust that you know what you're doing and and, and that you guessed right. Because let's be honest, it's a guess. There's a big guess here. Yeah, I mean, you know, Frank Vogel worked a lot better than Jim O'Brien did, and Jim O'Brien was a retread, and Vogel was a guy who they elevated, who was really kind of a nobody, and uh, and took him to a couple of Eastern Conference Finals, and now finds himself in the NBA Finals, where the Lakers have a two-one lead going into tonight's game, and I, I still think. It's a fait accompli that the, the Lakers are NBA champions. I just think with the injury yeah. situation with the Heat, you know, it, it was going to be a, a tough climb for them anyway. But let's say by next week, right now, Greg, we're talking about another NBA championship for LeBron James and the first in ten plus years for the Lakers. Um, I know people are going to try really hard to attach an asterisk to this, but are you going to? Oh hell no, 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 no. Th- this this championship is harder. Who, whoever was going to win this one. This was harder than anything else. I mean, this was hard. There was nothing. Now, you could put an asterisk on the baseball because 60 games instead of 160, um, it's a sprint, and baseball is not that way. Whoever wins this year's World Series, we're, we're going to always kind of you know wonder, even if it is the Yankees. But no, no, the NBA, no asterisk at all. This was tough. This was grueling in a whole different way. So, no, I, whoever wins this one has deserved it tenfold. And uh, LeBron is – you know, I I think he's very comfortably in the top five of all time, right? I mean, him to him, me, George, I, I, yeah, I think it's a no brainer to me. But some people will fight on that. You know, <laughs> the thing is, every time I see highlights of Larry Bird, somebody on Twitter will like put a, a little video out a couple days ago of him making passes. Just here's Larry Bird's greatest passes, two minutes of Larry. Every time I see any, like I'm thinking, maybe he's the greatest of all time. Like I, I so I don't know. I really should not even talk about the greatest of all time because I. I'm a weather vane. Whoever I last saw highlights of, 
That's the guy because they're all, I mean, how do you really pick? They're all great. Yeah, it's really difficult to do. But, you know, gun to my head, I think I'm not even worried about that, Greg, as much as I am. I put them on tiers. And to me, the top tier is Kareem, Jordan, LeBron. And I think I'd throw Wilt up there. People want to put Russell, but, you know, it was those Boston teams were just so much better than everybody else. I, I don't have a problem putting Russell there, I guess, but I think that he's behind all of those other ones. Um, and then to me, the second tier at the very top of the second tier would be like magic bird, um, Kobe, like that, that's Shaq. Like that's kind of how I would, I, I would tear it out as opposed to just say one, two, three, four, five in order. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But boy, you say magic's name and I'm thinking, holy cow. Boy, It's really hard to not put him on the top. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of, it, it's again, it's so hard to do, but you know, one thing that I've never been able to get past with Kobe and he deserved more than one, but at the end of the day, Kobe won one MVP, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Michael Jordan and, and LeBron and these other guys, they roll out of bed every year and they win MVPs and they should have won more. Like Michael should have won probably seven and he ended up with, I think five and LeBron should have more. I think LeBron has four, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I don't know. To, to me, I just hope that people are appreciating what they're seeing because somebody like LeBron James only comes around once every really century, maybe half century. And um, I don't care whether or not he's better than Jordan. In fact, I, I'm still I still believe that Jordan is is on top of LeBron. But that said, I think you just have to appreciate instead of worry about ranking them. You know what I mean? I mean LeBron yeah. is just so incredible. How about the? How about we're watching a player who's so good that there he, there's a conversation to be had, and and he might lose it. But we're watching a player who's even being mentioned, like he might be. Then that's special. That's yeah. that's pretty damn special. And it's absolutely an argument. I mean, he's been at ten finals. Well, his record is three and six. Duh. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, the 07 Cavs were LeBron, you, me, and you know what I mean, and Zadrinas yeah. Aldaskas. I mean, come on, like that was yeah. that was barely a team. Um, let's wrap and, and talk about, I know you wanted to touch on a feel-good story with the Colts, and you had mentioned it with Jacoby Brissett and some of the other Colts' involvement with Gleaner's Food Bank at Lucas Oil Stadium the other day. Yeah, uh, the Gleaners set up a, a pantry, uh, three trucks, semi, two semis and a box truck, and put the word out that, that that's where we're giving away food today, and people showed up, and, and it was cars as far as you can see. I mean, it was like, as I wrote my story, it was like field of, field of dreams kind of thing where you just cars go forever. And, and they weren't there to see the Colts. They were there to get food. They were going to come. And maybe uh, this is not like a this is not a fan thing, a food thing, which takes precedence. They were coming for food. And the Colts know that gleaners and other food banks are literally throwing away food that they can't get rid of soon enough. And it expires. It goes bad. It spoils because they're 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 doing the gleaners is kicking butt, getting as much food as they can. And it just they don't have enough fridge space and it goes bad. So and, and it's, it's a double whammy COVID thing. So there's more people out of work than ever, more people needing food than ever, and Gleaners is getting less, and other food banks, getting less volunteers than ever because people don't, and I understand, they don't want to go volunteer in the middle of a pandemic. So the Colts said, okay, well, we're going to, you know, Jim Irsay kickstarted the whole let's give money to uh, Gleaners back in March. He kickstarted it mm-hmm. and we had that million-dollar challenge that we wrote about at the star, and, and, he, and now he's kickstarting. He knows they need volunteers, and this is happening with the Colts every Monday this month. Every Monday, they're going to give away food with Colts players there at Lucas Oil just to see these guys. And it's always the same guys. Kenny Moore, Jacoby Brissett, Quentin Nelson, DeForest Buckner, who's a new Colt, but this is what he did everywhere he's been. Isn't Anthony Walker usually there? Anthony Walker was yeah. there. 
and I don't want to leave people out. Grover Stewart was there. Um, a, a lot of people showed up after I got there. Zach Pascal was there. Uh, George Odom usually shows up. I mean, it's the same core always. And you just can't – got to love that Quentin Nelson is always there. I mean, he's always there. Quentin Nelson, and he is not a guy – he is not a guy – that wants to be there to be seen, to be famous. Like one time I walked up to him when they were building a playground at an IPS school. I walked up to him and tried to talk to him and he snarled me away. Like, I remember I am, that, yeah. <laughs> I am not here. This is yeah. not a media thing. I'm not here to be quoted. Like just pretend you didn't see me. I couldn't love that more. So I just think the Colts have special guys and it starts with Ursay. I mean, it does start with Ursay, but they got special special players uh, coach GM everybody so I I'm a big fan of what I saw yeah yeah it's just it's why I really am hopeful like I, I'm not a I'm not a fan guy like I've never been like that with media stuff I, I root for people though and I really am hopeful that this this thing is for real unlike last year where the things fell up the, the wheels kind of fell off because they're just there's so many players and front office people and um, you know, all of that to root for. Hell, you know, I, I I would like to see Steve Campbell and Matt Conti and Pam Humphrey, you know, get get Super Bowl rings. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. in that everyone in that building to me um deserves something good to happen to them for sure. So Yeah, and when I first got here, I was a little bit hard on the Colts. Of course I was I first got here and I didn't know how to handle stuff, but um that locker room they had, there were some guys in there that that were not likable. And there were some not likable and they might even be famous and they weren't likable. And I didn't like them. And that's going to affect sometimes the way I write. I, I, I'll, I'm going to, I mean, I'm human news, news alert, but this, <laughs> this locker room, I, I'm, I'm not sure who I'd stay except for, aside from Quentin, who scares me a little bit, aside from Quentin, there's not one guy to stay away from. And I wouldn't stay away from Quentin either. He's fine. Um, there's not one guy, not one. And that's a, a testament to Ballard and, and those guys were bringing in really good guys who, by the way, aren't just poindexters. They can play. So it's uh, we're lucky to have that. This city is lucky to have those human beings in this city. And, oh, by the way, they're pretty good at football. Check out Greg's latest columns, uh, Defending the Colts in this great 3 and one starts. Their new identity, Victor Oladipo. Um, the female kicker story I thought was really fun from last week as well. I saw that um, there were two teams that had opposing girl kickers last week and now i'm trying to think of who it was was it brownsburg and somebody wow uh i don't know uh, this story the, the, real quick the girl kicker thing i'm sorry i interrupted you but the, the this girl is 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 rising the scoring charts at, at her little school east side up in butler indiana and just recently passed her dad on the scoring chart he was a running back she's a kicker but that's, that's just awesome that just doesn't happen right and so i yeah i drove three hours for that story because i'll never <laughs> see that again so yeah i went up there so anyway you're about to say you, you know the two schools uh, I, I don't remember now. I'm 95% sure it was in Indiana, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was somebody, somebody retweeted it. And I, I was like, I'm going to click on that and dig deeper into it. And then I, I think I fell asleep or something. And then I completely forgot about it until just now. <laughs> so I'll see if I can't dig that up. Indystar.com slash sports, uh, the Indystar app, like subscribe. And of course you can follow us, the Doyle and Derek podcast, not only through the Indystar site, but also iTunes, uh, Spotify, Clark throws it everywhere because he's a, he's a guru when it comes to this stuff. So check out Greg's columns, like, subscribe, and support local journalism. And, Greg, we will see you next week, my man. Thanks. And I believe it's Schultz975 on Twitter, correct? That's right. Yes, I want to add to my legion of followers. You are a great follow. You are a great and enjoyable follow. (laughs) I will give you that. But it's been fun talking to you, Derek, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, buddy.